Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies. Brian Spread. Welcome back to Somewhere in the Skies, everybody, and welcome back to Fred Anderson, our return guest. How are you, my friend? Hello, hello. Thank you for accepting me once again to this wonderful show. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm very, very fine. I'm, uh, however, I'm, I've been sweating like a pig today because it's been warm outside. You know, summer has struck Sweden brutally. Uh, but I'm not complaining, but it's warm. It is very, very warm. Yeah, I mean, now you just see the, the top of me here. You don't know if I have clothes <laughs> on underneath. Same. Yeah, Say, so, my friend, people will just have to guess if we're wearing yes. pants at all tonight, for sure. It's very hot here in the UK as well. We're going through a heat wave. So uh, I, I understand and feel your extremely uh, uh, temperate pain right now, for sure. <laughs> but um, other than, I guess, the weather, uh, you've been a busy guy lately. I know you're working on several projects i know some of which you can't talk about just yet uh but you have been cranking out articles like crazy and i want to cover some of those with you tonight because uh actually the main one that i came across resonated a lot with me because it actually has to do with a uh a topic i covered in my most recent book uh towards the end of my book with a very fascinating case in Australia in 2009, actually, I had a, a Australian Air Force officer reach out to me who had a, I guess you could call it a close encounter incident that occurred on a military installation in the outback with what she could only describe as a fire figure, a fire humanoid, a term I'd never really heard before. Until I came across these cases that you uncovered in Sweden. So we're going to get Swedish again tonight, my friend. You are our resident Swedish ufologist. um, And you have come across some amazing cases having to do with these fire humanoids. Uh, But we're going to cover some other cases as well. Uh, But let's, I guess, kind of start with um, like a moth to a flame, the fire humanoids of Sweden is what you titled it. And you begin the article with a theory by using an analogy of uh, moths to a flame, which I absolutely love. So before we even get to the fire figure humanoid phenomenon, um, what, what really inspired you to write this article? And what was that analogy you were trying to, trying to really get across to the readers of a moth to the flame? Well, some years ago, we went to China, me and Gregorz, for a trip, which was an amazing experience. And and uh, 
I, I, I took a photo inside the temple of, uh, um, of a fire. There was like a, a, a what do you say? Uh, yes, a fire in the middle of this little square. And you had people praying and making offerings around it. And I snapped a photo of the fire. And when I looked at the photo, there was, a I would say, a perfectly shaped dragon there. The flame was in the shape of a dragon. And as I mentioned, it kind of looked like a seahorse also, of course. But, I mean, it's a dragon. It's China, you know. So I'm, I'm you know, this thing with, with fire and how it has fascinated us humans for, I guess, eternity, uh, that, that struck a chord with me. That struck a, um, uh, I mean, for me, fire is, is very meditative. It's like you can look into the fire, you can look into the, 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 the glow and you can meditate, you can sh- see shapes and you can, it kind of transforms itself in, in, in front of you. Uh, and, and this dragon that it showed up in a fire in China, I mean, China is the country of dragons, felt so powerful, you know, it felt so, uh, I mean, fire is, fire is alive, fire is intelligent, fire is uh, it's such a huge part of us. And it's also so, I mean, it's so deeply connected to ourselves as humans and to our civilization, to our, our culture. So, I mean, it didn't surprise me that I saw a, 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 a dragon in it. Uh, you can, of course, you can call it pareidolia, of course, you know, but I, I obviously saw and captured what I wanted to see and capture. Uh, so, you know, fire, fire for me is, it's uh, something very, very powerful. I mean, we all know if we've been out in the forest in nature, we're making fires and we sit there under the, the, the starlit sky. Uh, it's, it's a truly magical moment. Um, so yeah, you know, okay. Sorry for going a bit new age here, but you know, the, <laughs> the, 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 I would say that was the, the thing that started, uh, the, the, my thoughts about fire itself, that we can kind of project our own fears, our own uh, perceptions into it. Uh, I don't know if that made sense, but you know, I'm Swedish, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> you never make sense. Come on, you're Swedish. <laughs> no, I I love that man because it is um for me, and I know this may sound cliche, but it, it almost to me resonated as uh, a burning curiosity <laughs> in as simple a term as I could put it. Um, and you even say we're we are moths endlessly circling the bright lights. We yeah, encounter. absolutely. I, I I mean I'm. This is something I've been thinking about for a long time because uh, we humans we we're attracted to light we're attracted to 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 fire. I mean, if we were alone in a forest somewhere and we see a light, we're either attracted to it or we're scared of it because what can it be? But we we're curious. We instantly becomes curious when we see this uh, bright glow. Uh, I mean, much like uh, what's these birds? They're attracted to to bright objects and steal them. Basically, mm-hmm. it's 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 like a, oh, how to put it? Um, I, I think it's important, you know, the, the 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 bright light itself, the fire itself, because it's a signal that there is someone 
or something out there. It might be dangerous. It might be a friend or foe or whatever, but it's out there. So when there is light, we're, we're never alone, uh, you, you can say. And I think that's why we're, we still look up on the, uh, at the stars, you know. It's, uh, it's, we, I mean, it's big and, you know, it's such a huge space, but we see these bright spots up there and we know that we are not alone. There is a huge, you know, enormous universe, cosmos out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Not alone. And yeah. that that leads into this interesting wave of UFO sightings that occurred in 1978 in Sweden. Again, cases I had never heard of, but you were able to dig up with all of the the archives that you work with and and just the incredible research tools at your fingertips in Sweden. And uh, one of those was Lars. I I would love, would you mind kind of running us through the experience of Lars back in 1978 with this quote-unquote fire humanoid, if you don't mind? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lars Westerlund, he was a 16-year-old boy who has been out barbecuing with his friends at a beach nearby in, in a small, small place called Mörschil. You know, it's out in nowhere. And he was walking along the, 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 the lake that's, that's there. Uh, you know, it's pretty late. I don't remember the, the exact time right now. And he's going to take a shortcut over a field. And when he comes to the fence, uh, all the cows starts to panic. Maybe they're afraid of him. Uh, I don't know. But they run past him, you know, like they're scared of something. But, you know, he's a 16-year-old boy. So, you know, they're not scared of anything. So he jumps over the fence, uh, walks a few meters uh, up until it comes to an old bunker, because this whole area is filled with war, uh, World War II bunkers that was built in the 40s. You know, there were, uh, you know, because it was wartime, of course, and uh, it's pretty close to Norway, uh, which uh, the Germans had invaded. And he sees this big, bright, glowing light, and he hears this violent fire sparkling from one of the bunkers or from the direction of one of the bunkers. And he looks there and he sees, uh, you can almost say like it's a, he described it as a two-meter tall, uh, two-meter tall, bright, bright thing, basically. as Maybe, you know, like a big rectangle. Mm. And in that rectangle, the, that portal, you can say, <laughs> there is a, a silhouette. There is a humanoid silhouette, you know, with head, shoulders, everything, legs, just standing there. And 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 the the the, the silhouette, this humanoid thing, had also a weird helmet on. It looks like it has a one of those World War One helmets, a uh, Pickelhaube, I think it's called. It's a German helmet with a mm. spike on top. Right. And yeah, and you know, he, he, he's so scared, of course. It takes a few seconds before he gets scared because it's so weird, which I can, you know, I can understand. And he runs up to the, to the nearest street uh, and he meets a friend who have seen the light, but he, he don't want to go down there, of course. And then he runs back home. And this is like all the cases we're going to talk about in this episode. This is 
so much about the, the personal intimate experience of the unknown you know there's not a a big ufo which hundreds of people see it's it's just a boy on his way home he's cheerful maybe he's tired he wants to go to bed they have the weekend to look forward to and then this thing just appears and grabs him and you know pulls him out of the reality basically and you know i i i'm so in love with these cases this small, it's, I mean, it's not big and spectacular, but it's something powerful, you know. Yeah. Uh, and just that he, he, he compared it to fire, to the sound of sparkling fire, to with the glow and everything. It was like, a, you know, I guess in, in one way, maybe it's more of a, a you know, a, a ghost experience, you know, because of the bunker and the silhouette and the helmet and everything. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, you know, I I don't know what to say, but it's, it's, it's so difficult sometimes, you know, when you only have one witness to really understand what's it about. That's why I'm saying it's a personal experience and personal experiences for me is probably the most important thing. If you, if you, get something from it or if you if you feel something it could be scary it could be funny it could be whatever you know and this boy got very scared <laughs> yeah tell me about it well in that personal i think uh that that personal reaction to these things or or the the aftermath of an event like this is obviously what uh i consider my ufology as well mm-hmm. in the United States and now in the United Kingdom of uh, how these events affect individuals and, and how they do just come out of nowhere and, and change you forever. And, and it's clear that this was one of those cases with Lars. Um, I have to ask, what was kind of the, uh, the aftermath of the event after this all happened? Do we know at all? Did he report this anywhere? Um, what, what happened with this case, Fred? He, he reported it to, I, I don't remember if, if it was UFO Sverige or UFO Sundsvall now, but they reported it to an uh, UFO organization who came there like one day or two days after, two investigators. And they, of course, uh, checked, the, checked the location. They didn't find any signs of, you know, something that, you know, of something flammable or if it's burned or whatever. And I mean, I, I tend to agree with them because they also, you know, they, they, they said that it's, it's very unlikely that it was a prank because this, this trip home for Lars was of course very, it wasn't planned, you know, it would be very difficult for his friends to know where he walked, where he went uh, and just, you know, stand there to surprise him or something like that. Um, so the, as usual, I mean, in, in the weird cases, the odd cases in Sweden often happened in the 70s. And there was a lot of UFO organizations and offsprings of UFO Sverige in the works. And they were so good at following up cases because there were so much fun things happening. But yet today, there's no... no no explanation to this little incident. It's it's still a mystery. But yeah, I would for sure would like to talk with him. And oddly enough, I haven't even reached out reached out to him yet because I think he would be quite easy to find. I mean, he was pretty young at the time. His name it's 
it's not unusual, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not the most common name either. So, yeah, maybe I will, I will try to find him, actually. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Get on that, man. Get yeah. on that. <laughs> well, um, another person I hope you'll reach out to is Jeanette. Now, uh, yeah. we're going to move to, um, you know, not too long after the Lars event happened, uh, Jeanette was another case of a quote-unquote fire humanoid that happened in the same year in Sweden. So I guess, yeah, could you tell us a little about this case and maybe any comparisons you might have drawn between the two? I think actually they're very similar. You know, This was like a month after in Sundsvall. Sundsvall is a bigger town, but this was kind of in the suburbs of it. And Jeanette, she was uh, 18 years old, so she was young also, and she was out jogging. And she came to this forest area, and she was running into it to turn around and go back home again. And just when she was about to leave this area, she sees this bright, glowing light in the forest. And she continues to run, because at first, as often, you you kind of, it's so weird, so you just, you know, whatever. But she was smart, so she stopped and went back and took a look at this. And here you have something that's, that's it really feels like some kind of door, some kind of science fiction door. That's the only way I can... I can describe it when I look at the drawing she made, which kind of is, a, it's, it's according to the description, it's more square, but the drawing is more rectangular. And it's like a vertical line through it with two, two other lines uh, at the top of it. And inside this bright, bright glowing object, there was a humanoid figure who was moving around. And as she was watching it, she could see how this uh, humanoid figure was kind of gliding out from the frame. It, it, she didn't see it outside of the, the door or, or what you're going to call it, but she just disappeared. She could see a head and nose and everything. And moments later, she heard a, a, a rustling sound in the vegetation. And she got, then she got scared and ran home. She got her mother. They went back there. And of course, there were absolutely nothing to see there. There was no no bright light. There was no strange interdimensional doorway. There were no humanoids. It was just dark and and quiet. Uh, so it it feels to me it feels very very similar. They, the the figure itself they see it looks a little bit you know there's some difference difference in it but it's still a, a silhouette in a in a glowing inferno of 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 something uh, i i'm afraid i don't know really what happened after that i know that they did an investigation by it and of course they couldn't find anything it was just completely empty but i don't know if there were any more follow-ups or, or, or what Jeanette have said about, said about this later. But it's, I think it's fascinating that there's two very, very similar cases in so short of time and in the same part of Sweden also. Not overly close, though, but it's still, you know, it's, it's in the same part of Sweden. Uh, I, I, you know, it's I, often when I look at cases, uh, I, I look through a lot of old Swedish magazines. I often find similar cases 
uh, nearby or uh, you know close to each other in time or in space. Um, it's like a, a mini wave, you can say, a mini flap of something weird that happens. Um, and, and, and these cases attract me because it's rarely anyone writes about them. They're, they're mentioned, there's an article in some old magazine, and then they're gone. It's like, it's like they never happened. And left, we have these witnesses who probably had their, the experience of their life, you know, Yeah, they they didn't see it wasn't Independence Day blowing up shit. It was something strange and something that they they just can't describe, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it's, I mean, I've been talking a lot with witnesses in other cases recently, and one thing I've noticed is when they have these experiences, they they can't let go. I mean, I talked with a man, he's 74 or 75 this year, and uh, in 2011, he saw a big, huge red UFO above his house. His wife saw it also, a giant. He couldn't, he couldn't say if it was one kilometer wide or 500 meter wide, but it was enormous. And when we were talking about it, I could hear how this touched him so much he it's it it was so emotional for him to talk about it because he thinks about it every day and i wonder if Lars and and Jeanette does the same do they think about it nowadays and that i'm curious about you know yeah. <sighs> well okay curious that's i i'd love to get your personal curiosity your burning curiosity mm-hmm. i'm going to make any fire puns tonight, Fred? I apologize. <laughs> uh, of what are we dealing with, with with these humanoid beings that seem to appear in light or or in mm. fire? Do you have any sort of uh, nuts and bolts theories or metaphysical theories on what these might be? I'm yeah, yeah. What do you think? Well, I I, I don't know if I can go, go the nuts and bolts way in in these cases you know i very very difficult to do that uh but i mean we have of course stories about fire beings in mythology and legends we have the jinns of course who are are fire beings and this kind of felt kind of felt like a scandinavian version of that you know put in our culture in our na- uh, nature uh Uh, something you know so powerful that it kind of transcends the, the 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 symbols we have around. So it's I mean in 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 the Arabic world it's of course something different, but here in Sweden it's out in the typical Swedish environment, the the, the cow field or or mm-hmm. the, the pine tree forest. You know something that's very very Swedish. Uh, we have old legends in Sweden about like uh, fire spirits, you know, that lives in fires and you should, maybe they were maybe constructed more to teach people how to, to work with fire, you know, respect the fire. So if someone got hurt, uh, it was of course a punishment from the fire spirit that you, that, that they got hurt. Um, you know, it's, But these two cases are still pretty, um, they're pretty different from what I read before, you know, what I found before. I, re- I really haven't found anything similar to this, but I'm 
you know, and you know, if anyone have found something like this in some other country somewhere else, I would love to hear it. You know, yeah. uh, but this absolutely, yeah. This I I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, this thing about not letting things go. You think about it every day. I had an experience. We were like four or five people. I think this was in 2019. And uh, this is one of those ridiculous stories where we, every one of us had cameras. You know, we had cell phones. We could take a lot of photos, but we didn't. It's absurd. (laughs) We were out barbecuing uh, near a field out by a forest. we We had this huge field in front of us. And suddenly we noticed that out on the field were a big, bright circle of light. You know, a perfect circle <laughs> in the field from nowhere. There was, you know, there was no, no vehicle above it, you know, no helicopter, no lamps. It was just a big, bright circle. And I, I remember Gregorson, a friend, moved in that direction until they came to a ditch with water in and then they felt no we, let's not go there is too trouble tr- much trouble to go over the ditch but we were standing looking at this circle for at least you know half an hour 45 minutes and i didn't take one single photo there is photos from that evening every photo is i cropped away exactly that part of the field where the circle was. You know, every, every photo, there's from all angles, but never that spot. And that oh, thing, wow. yeah, it's, and I've been th- I, I, I don't think about it every day, but I think about it at least once a week. You know, what the heck was it? You know, and it's one of those small experience, experiences. I mean, it's, I didn't see a UFO. I didn't see humanoids running around. I just saw a weird, strange, big light on a field. Uh, so, I mean, my advice to everyone I talk with, take a photo. Even if the photo doesn't show ever anything, take a photo of yeah. that spot directly. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Do it. Lesson learned. I know, man. I can't tell you how many people come to me every day and you know, with an experience and I ask, is there any photographic or video proof of this? And they say, no, I just didn't think about it at the time. And it's so true. You're in the moment. It's a deeply personal experience for you and possibly you alone, or maybe a small group of people. And that's it. And I do honestly feel that with many of these cases, even the fire humanoid cases, uh, that's how it was meant to be for you and you alone, not not to be known to the world or, or understood, um, but just a either a tricksterish little game, um, as we'll get to later in the episode, playing games with these phenomena, uh, or you know either something spiritual or folkloric or angelic or demonic. Um, who knows? Who who truly knows? So, ah, man, I find it deeply fascinating. Um, well. I want to move backwards in time, actually, from 1978 to 1968. Uh, you covered in the same article as the Fire Humanoids um, an incident with a group of young boys. Um, yes. And the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because this is a case that could quite possibly involve something to do with portals. And mm-hmm. while I find that deeply fascinating... Um, rumor on the street is 
Fred Anderson hates portals. So tell us a little about this case from 1968 and tell us why in the hell you hate portals so much. (laughs) Well, the, 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 this incident in 68, it was a a boy, his name is Benny. And I had the pleasure to talk with him a year or two ago. uh, And he still remembers it very clearly. He was out playing in the forest near some old mines uh, in Smedjebacken, and they built a little hut there, he and his friends, and they were playing around. I guess they were playing cowboys and Indians or something like Swedish kids at, did at the time. Suddenly, they see three very tall men in kind of white clothes. You can call them overalls, and they were, wore, that was, they was carrying these little suitcases in their hands. And they were, they had their heads covered. They had, uh, it's a little bit, it depends on which description of the case you read, but uh, they had quite big black eyes also. Benny himself kind of, you know, he backed off a little bit from that detail when I talked with him. And the three men seemingly came up from this mine or from the entrance, they were near the entrance, and they saw the kids and they were standing there looking at them. And the kids got so scared, of course, and they started to run. And these three beings uh, started to run after them, very, very scary. But they didn't just run. They were like floating. It was like they were slightly above ground, and there may be a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit of slow motion, like they were in a different kind of time uh, and, and for Benny, this was a very, very important uh, experience because after, after this, he had years and years of UFO sightings, often big golden disks that were hovering above lakes and forests. And it was, I, I, I asked him about this. Could this have been a key, this experience for you? A key uh, like to some other kind of, language, a symbolic language or or a key to another realm or whatever. And he, what I remember now, he he agreed with me. It was kind of the the thing that opened up his his way of seeing stuff and experiencing stuff. And it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I, I have actually a chapter about this in, in my upcoming book, uh, and I speculate a little bit about that and uh, uh, cave and mine dwelling creatures we have in Sweden, like, like for exa- example, the 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 mine wife, um, or the yeah the mine wife or the cave wife, uh, or the or trolls, of course, because I mean we were wherever there is caves and mines in Sweden, there's always stories of supernatural beings living there. It's kind of their, dare I say it, their portal to their world. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I you know, I, I'm thinking a lot about Benny's case. And I, I'm, after talking with him and see, hearing how he kind of backed off from the more bizarre details and still stayed with the weirdness of it, I got so much respect for his experience and his story. Uh, he for sure saw something there. I have a couple of theories about that, but I won't bore you with that now. Theories that deals with non-supernatural beings, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a 
fascinating little case. And I, I think it's, it's written a little bit about it in some older international uh, magazines, but it's still also quite forgotten. So I felt I need to, I, I need to write about it. I need to talk with Benny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would like, and I know you said you would bore our audience with it, but mm-hmm. I actually, I disagree with you. I think I would find a more possible prosaic explanation interesting as well. Um, would you mind maybe painting some context for that in terms of what it possibly could be, if not some strange, bizarre entity from elsewhere? Well, in, in this area of Sweden, up until maybe 15, 20 years ago, it was a big place for moonshining. People made their own booze, which is, of course, illegal. And they often used uh, abandoned houses and uh, abandoned mines, places where people don't go. You know, and they put up their equipment there. And uh, I, when I was discussing this with a with a friend, uh, Jimmy Beris, who I have my Swedish podcast with, he's from the area, and he said, "Well, you know, it could be moonshiners because they could have their equipment down there in the in the in the mine. They could have protective clothes on, and when they come up there, maybe with you know." money maybe they sold booze or whatever i don't think you can earn so much money from it to be honest so they have suitcases with money uh maybe they just saw the kids and decided to scare them and uh, and then this 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 whole experience just became even wilder in the imaginations of of these kids um there is i mean two of the the two of the kids two of the boys remember this clearly the other boys have absolutely no recollection at all of this experience. So it must, no matter what, it must have been quite traumatic for them. So if it's moonshiners or, or aliens or trolls, I don't know. But <laughs> but it's 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 a it's a good story, and I, I'm I'm um, I would like to go to this area and find this mine and this place because I. As, as often, you, you have to go to the location to look at it, maybe together with Benny one day, because I want to see, I want to feel what he felt at that moment. Right, right. Oh, I definitely think you should. Um, okay, well, I'm not going to let you go that easily, Fred. Why do you hate portals? Come on, man. Tell me, what is, what is your beef with portals? Portals are like demons. They're overly ex- exaggerate. I can't speak English now because I'm getting upset. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I, I worked with a lot of paranormal television, you know, ghosts and spirits and stuff. And if it's one thing that mediums and ghost hunters, even some friends of mine uh, use when they try to describe a very haunted place is that they say that it's a portal it's a portal there, especially my these all these psychic mediums. Whenever there's a lot of activity at the place, suddenly there's a portal there, a portal with evil spirits and demons and stuff coming out. And it feels, I know I, I, people will get upset with me, but it feels like a, a, a cheap and simple explanation to something. You know, it's like, where do this come from? Oh, it's a portal. You know, it's... It's, and I've heard it so many times. I, I know John, John, John Tenney mentioned that when he did the Ghost Stalkers, they edited the, the one episode so they said portals like 32 times during <laughs> half an hour or something like that. So it's, it's like tell, it, 
production companies, they love portals and they love demons and I'm kind of bored with them. That's why. But, you know, portals as a concept, it's, it's interesting. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, I heard it too much and I'm using it myself. Yeah. <laughs> I get it, man. Well, yeah, it's, it's a sort of, um, a blanketed way to explain away a lot of these things where there's probably much more, um, I mean, not that a portal isn't bizarre, but there probably is much more bizarre explanations. It could be other than this huge sweeping term of it came from a portal. Um, yeah, yeah. I find it fascinating. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that case with me. I found that one super interesting. Let's say I'm more interested what's behind the portal in that case. The right. portal itself, it's just a portal. And here's our reality and what's on the other side. That's, I find, even more intriguing, but I, I, I rarely see any theories about that because we, we don't know, of course. It's impossible to know. Uh, yeah, so, you know, if you ever see a portal, go into it. Please check around, <laughs> come back, bring a camera. Bring a damn camera, guys, into the portal. <laughs> The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week. But if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so I want to move to another article of yours, Fred, that I found really interesting. Um, This is a very complex, uh, convoluted, but extremely interesting case. Mm -hmm. Um, And please forgive me. If I'm saying this wrong, I know you'll correct me. This article was titled The Vanishing Visitors at Vic Bullen Dutt. Is that correct? 
Vikbolandet. Vikbolandet. Okay. Yes. Got yeah. it. Got it. Thank you. I I knew I knew that you could help me with that. Um, it's another another case from the seventies. So something with the you know the sixties and seventies in Sweden with these highly strange cases. Um, would you mind kind of running us through this one and why you decided to cover an entire dedicate an entire article to it? Yeah, I mean, I first, honestly, I first read about it in a post on Facebook that uh, Albert S. Rosales uh, did, where he he told this weird story, which was set in 1973 in an area called Vik outside Norrköping. Uh, and there was this, this I, let's uh, I will, I will probably mix his version with my own here, but I will try to keep them apart. But in, in short, there's a, there's a man, he goes out to his summer cabin in a very idyllic place, and he leaves the car after hearing a huge bang, you know, like, you, you know, something completely out of the ordinary. And he runs out maybe like 100 meters down to a field, and on the other side of the field, he see he see a bunch of green creatures walking. Some, you know, normal adult size, some shorter. And they had like uh, antennas, and they had big black eyes. Uh, they had, and they were kind of kind of looked like they were floating a little bit. And they were walking. They stopped and they looked at him, and they even pointed at him. And he got very very scared. And then he, uh, they continued to walk, and they kind of just disappeared into nothing, you know. And he ran back to his father, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what Albert Rosales uh, uh, wrote in his Facebook page. So I, I, had to look, I had to look it up. So I was, you know, I couldn't find any information about this case, not that the UFO archive or uh, colleagues in the UFO Sverige, no one had heard about it. But there was a drawing together with with uh, Rosales' uh, post. And I was starting to send this out. I sent it to uh, even some comic book organization. I sent it out to researchers. I sent it out to friends. And one day, uh, a buddy called Tobias wrote back and said, well, it, that looks exactly like an illustrator called uh, Richard Svensson. Richard Svensson is kind of a folklore cryptozoologist in Sweden and a very, very good artist. Uh, so through that, I could identify that it was in a specific magazine in UFO Aktuellt, and I managed to trace it down where it's mentioned. And it's mentioned very briefly in, in one article. I don't remember a year now. And But I could, from that, also identify the location, I, and I could search the archives, and I could actually find the original report for it, where the this man who wants to stay anonymous, he, he describes the story in more details. And he adds a lot of details in it. This differs slightly from the internet version. Uh, it was more, they didn't have big black eyes, but they had like, uh, what looked like kind of helmets on, protections, uh, black visir, I don't know the English word for it, black covering their faces and like helmets, mm-hmm. but still antennas and green. Um, but when I was reading it, I was like 
it's really, it really kind of feels like he's describing a, a, a troop of militaries, a, a troop of soldiers. Uh, and I was looking around and I could see that in this area there were military exercises during the 70s. Not 73, I couldn't find any info about that, but in 74 and 75, absolutely, where they had, you know, tanks and stuff and, you know, they did this big exercises. So I was thinking maybe he saw militaries and, you know, from a distance and he just confused it. He wasn't expecting it. Still, I'm not sure that theory works out because they had their summer they had their summer cabin there, and they would probably know and be aware that the military had you know doing stuff there during the 70s. They they couldn't have missed it because these operations they did was gigantic. You know, so it's it's bizarre that he 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 didn't know about it in that case, uh, and so I'm. It's one of those stories. I, I love this story. I love this story because it's so connected to Swedish folklore. When he describes it, it feels more like, yeah, he, des- he describes them with the antennas and, and kind of, uh, you know, alien life, but it feels more like some kind of forest spirits or, you know, being something mm. from Swedish folklore, trolls or whatever. Uh, and I, I, oh, it's 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 and also in this case because I, I read the report and his in his own writing this obviously meant a lot to him, you know he couldn't let this go. He was thinking about it every day, so it must have been something out of the ordinary. I have a very hard time to actually think that there was militaries. It could have been, but. In Sweden, we have militaries everywhere. I mean, everyone do military service. Not me, though, but everyone do military service. <laughs> so it's like we're, we're, we're familiar with how they look, how they behave. Sounds like I'm describing some animal here, but uh, it's, it's, um, I, I find it unlikely that he, he's, he, he could mistake uh, uh, soldiers for, for aliens or <laughs> for something else. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a strange, odd little case, I, I'd say. Yeah. Now, if I recall in the article, you also compare it to a possible other case that involved uh, two women. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's another mysterious case. I've, <laughs> I haven't been able to trace down the original source of it, the original letter or the original report. Um, but it's, uh, it's also set in the 70s, of course. There's a woman, she's, uh, she's going out to pick berries, and she goes out to her favorite forest. She finds a couple of mushrooms, but no berries. It's completely, you know, there's no berries at all. And she's out walking on this little trail, and suddenly she hears like a little, not a little voice, but she hears a voice behind her, and she turns around, and two girls in quite 70s clothes are sitting there on a log looking at her, and they're eating some cake, and they're kind of naughty and cheeky, you know, know, there's something mischievous about them. And she... When they say hello, she oh she's shocked. So she she says sorry that she didn't see them because she didn't see them, and and they say don't worry about that because uh, no one 
what's how how do they say it now no one walks over us or under us or something like that it feels like a kind of some kind of spell some kind of mm. magical words there and she starts talking with them and they seem to be very you know they've been traveling all over the world they make very adult references they're 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 very very polite uh And they end this with saying, okay, now we're going to eat some berries. And then she looks around and the whole forest is filled with berries again. And then the girls are gone. This is a very short version of this one because it's a long, they have a long dialogue with each other. And for me, this is a, a classic case of Swedish forest nymphs, you know, like elves or fairies or something like that. But in a, in a 70s Uh, environment basically because they really had you know this uh, this uh, typical 70s jeans pants and and everything like that uh, i'm i'm i have a fondness for letters uh, that comes in without any background to them because whenever i look through magazines both ufo magazines or normal you know magazines for we have we have a Shonger of magazines in Sweden made specifically for middle-aged women, uh, where you can learn to cook food. You can, you know, like very. You have crosswords in them. They're very. It's family magazines, you can say. Yeah. And especially in the 70s and 80s, there were always these weird stories where the readers could send in their odd experiences. And you can find so many strange stuff there. And you have absolutely no idea where they come from because there's no information who wrote it. And you, the only information you have is what their letter says. And it's like with this story, it's what I told you now. You can probably find some info about this on the Internet. Uh, uh, this this is all we got, basically. And I'm I'm wondering... Are, are these real incidents or are these someone's imaginations or are is it dreams that someone has written down believing it's real or you know is it real we don't know and I find that oh, it's super mysterious this I think I, I've written about a couple of those cases in my book and even on my medium where where people have the most extraordinary experiences so insane stuff. Uh, which like and it's frustrating because you you don't know who it is. You want to talk with with, with this with this person, you know. Um, yeah, I love that. I don't know why. No. It's it's probably because it's unreachable, you know. Then I <laughs> we love the unreachable, my friend, or else we wouldn't still be here doing yeah. this today. Trust me. Um, well, I, oh. yeah. No, no, please. I can add shortly. I found another case. It's a pretty modern one which I, I I was planning to include it in the fire humanoid article because it had some similarities to it there was a woman and her son I think her grown-up son were out in the forest it was pretty dark it was in the evening I guess they were on their way home and they were walking along some forest roads and suddenly see a, a really really strong bright light at the edge of a tractor road And they stop because they, they, they're scared because this is so, so intensive. But they go a little bit closer because they feel maybe it's a car. Maybe it's, you know, there's, maybe it's someone they know. But as they go closer, they see 
from the middle of the light, from the, the, the bright, strong light, they see a humanoid being kind of sitting in a chair, kind of coming out from the bright, you know, like it's it's sitting in some kind of uh, device of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> and um, now I'm, 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 I'm afraid I actually don't remember how this ends because I've read about it quite recently. <laughs> But I guess they they studied it for a moment or two, and as usual in many of these cases, they just walks away, you know, because they they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know right. they don't know what they're looking at, uh, and th- that's one is a pretty strange. And investigators from Infosveri was there the days after checking the area. There were of course no tracks of any kind. The road itself was uh, closed off, so. There weren't, you know, you couldn't drive a, you know, some kind of forest machine or tractor in there. It was like cut off, um, uh, and that's also it's a quite small, weird story involving a you know, very, very bright light, but this time some kind of floating being or at least strapped in something coming out from the light. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's like a, a floating throne. Of sorts, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it was the troll king showing himself. A troll and... king, exactly. Okay, you you went there, trolls. Um, we can't <laughs> escape the fact that a lot of the cases from Sweden are some of the weirdest in the world. I'm not going to lie. Uh, every time I speak to you or you come out with an article, um, you find the weirdest cases in your country. And uh, that, that speaks volumes to the, uh, uh, to me at least, the humorous and the ridiculous nature of these phenomena. And I think there's this huge misconception within ufology specifically. Uh, I don't know about the world of the paranormal or cryptozoological, but in ufology that everything has to be serious, you know, that we have to look at this from a very um, rigid perspective to try to understand it and come to conclusions. And look, these events, like you've mentioned many times tonight, uh, could be deeply traumatic for the individuals who've witnessed or experienced them. However, that doesn't take away from the the fact that you've got beings floating in thrones or you've got little green men with antenna just floating around and vanishing it's weird and it's uh, to be honest it's hilarious in in you know so many respects so let's talk a little about um probably one of your more recent articles which was is there room for humor within ufology and you give some great examples um of why you think uh, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you, Fred, believe there is room for humor in ufology? And and what does that mean to you? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, this is probably the, the most absurd, bizarre subject one can deal with. Uh, ufology and humanoids, you know, high strangeness. It's it's something that, uh, you know, it, it goes so much further, our, you know, normal uh, reality, our consensus reality. Uh, it's like, uh, oh, how to how to put this? Uh, I I feel that the phenomenon 
kind of acts like we feel. So if we're scared of something, if we're afraid when we're watching something, it will seem scary or be scary. If we, though, take a step back and distance ourselves from it and look at the absurdity, it will be funny and it will behave funny. So if, if you're in a lighter mood, it also will behave that way. I mean, we have a case, I think it was in 89 or something, there was a man sitting drinking coffee in his, by his kitchen table. And suddenly he sees this, this uh, what do you, fluorescent person. It's like a, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a bright person kind of mm-hmm. walking like a, kind of like a crab, you know, over his yard, you know, a couple of, <laughs> couple of meters from his house. And, and he was mostly curious because he, he was like, what the fuck, what is this? You know, he wasn't scared or anything. It was just a bizarre light being kind of doing a crab walk over his, <laughs> over his, over his yard. And he was so curious about it. He loved it. He took his, uh, took his jacket and, walked out to take a closer look at it but of course it was gone there were no traces in the snow or anything like that but he was an, a person who was willing to explore to 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 embrace the weirdness you know he didn't run and hide and absolutely all respect for people who are afraid who have had traumatic experience. I totally understand that. I have no idea how I would react in a, a situation like this, of course. But I still feel that if if you bring humor and curiosity uh, to to the experience, it will play with you. It will it will dance with you. That's mm-hmm. that's my my and and that can turn out to be very very funny. You know, uh, it's like. I mean, we mentioned trickster earlier, and the phenomenon is, I would say, is a, it's a it's a trickster being by itself. It's probably a, lots of different things, but if if you put everything under umbrella, it's a trickster umbrella, basically. Uh, in this article, I I make the comparison uh, to older UFO sightings. Uh, if you look at in older UFO books, there's often mentioned the falling leaf movement where the UFO is like moving like this. Hmm. And I was like, what, what is this? Did people see this once upon a time, you know, UFOs going like this? And I, I was thinking about this. Uh, and I noticed that most of the old obviously seemingly very fake UFO films, you know, Super 8 films and stuff, were often miniature UFOs, flying saucers, hanging in in invisible threads. So they were kind of moving like this. They were moving by the wind. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So then it struck me, maybe, maybe is it so that the phenomenon wants to play with us even here? So imagine you go, you Ryan, you go out on some field in Scotland and you're seeing this awesome, cool UFO, you know, like, wow, this is the smoking gun. And you take up your Super 8 camera. Let's say this is the 60s. So you start filming it with shaky hand. Now you have the ultimate proof. <laughs> and then you go home and you, you, you develop the film. And when everyone, you, you gather military and press and you're going to, look at the movie for the first time and what you see is a 
papier-mâché paper miniature UFO hanging in a thread. And you saw it. You saw it like the most awesome thing in the world. And here you sit in a laughing crowd of journalists who says, oh, it's a hoax. You know, it's fake. So maybe the 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 trickster element uh, transforms itself to uh, a model UFO when it's filmed. Uh, so So it can be seen and still not be seen, if you understand what I mean. It's, it's, like, a hide, it's like a hide-and-seek thing from the phenomenon. And today, of course, it's, you know, yeah, you see this cool UFO and you bring up your camera, your cell phone, and it's still just a blob. You know, it's just some fussy thing there, or it's, it, it's you know, everyone says it's Venus, or it's a balloon, or whatever. You know, it's like, right. it's like the phenomenon kindly fucks with you. No, I mean, not, not faxing like having sex, but, you know, fax around with you. <laughs> hey, you know. who's, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. <laughs> and I, you love who you want to love, even if it's a UFO. Yes, that's fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> um, so I, I, I truly believe that the phenomenon has humor. I think that the phenomenon itself is a, is, is a trickster. And I think, therefore, we need to embrace the humor and, and in it. We need to embrace it and hug it and have fun with it. Once again, Johnny Tenney said, he said it in countless of uh, podcast episodes that the phenomenon wants you to go out and play. It wants you to explore and play. And I think that's the, if there's a meaning with it, uh, it's to have fun. That's 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 my that's my opinion, you know. But you know me, I'm not I'm not so into you know militaries and stuff like that. If the militaries haven't experienced something truly weird, of course. But, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's once again, it's the personal experience, and you know that. You know, it's the human approach uh, approach to it. It's so important. It's so absolutely damn important. Absolutely. Uh, there's, I don't know, there's probably countless. I mean, we could we could bring up all the old cases, you know, like yeah, Sam the Sandown Clown, where I actually heard a weird theory the other day that Sam is also a slang for the devil. And uh, during that the same time, there was two big hits or two popular songs, one by Pink Floyd and one by uh, Black Widow, who both sang about Sam the devil, Lucifer Sam and... Uh, Sam, Satan Sam. So it's mm. like Sam and Clown could have been a, a manifestation of uh, some kind of trickster devilish pawn creature, uh, something like that. Or the gnomes of Volaton Park or, you know, whatever. All of those, all of these cases are just fun. They're weird and scary, but they're also fun, you know, at least when you look at them afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, and you use as an example uh, also the the Simonton case with the pancakes, which I absolutely just that is the most endearing UFO close encounter case I've ever come across. Aliens who bake someone pancakes and then just disappear and are gone. I mean, that's hilarious. It's hilarious. It is, it is. And I mean, Simonton himself seemed very perplexed by it afterwards. You know, why, why, why are they doing this? I'm right. For the first time in all these years, I actually made pancakes during that day. And, and I, I accidentally burned one of the pancakes. So it looked exactly like one of Simonton's pancakes. And I was so proud of that. 
you know, it kind of, oh, but yeah, <laughs> Simonton, I, I, it's an old case. Everyone talks about it, but it's a great one. You know, it's still a mystery for me because I'm sure he saw something, whether it was physical or non-physical or a dream or hallucination or imagination. I don't know, but he experienced something. I, I love good old Joe. What a, what a guy. <laughs> good old Joe and the pancakes. We'll, we'll never forget. Never forget, guys. So you mentioned, Fred, military. And that seems to be what everyone is talking about right now in the world of UFOs. These, uh, This gentleman, this whistleblower who came forward and said the United States government has programs where they have recovered uh, non-human craft, spaceships, as he's called them. And uh, this plays into the entire post-2017 UFO narrative of military, military, government, UFOs, government programs. And um, I feel like ever since then, uh, people have lost sight of how truly bizarre and strange the UFO phenomenon is. So my question for you is, how do we maintain that wonder and that burning curiosity of these strange cases we've talked about tonight, I guess kind of in uh, juxtaposition to all of these very uh, serious nuts and bolts UFO cases of the United States Navy or, or Air Force. Um, do you think we're losing sight of how amazing and beautiful the UFO phenomenon can be, um, I guess, in relation to what we're seeing play out today in, in the UFO world? Well, I hope not. But um, here's the thing. Uh, everyone is so focused on, on military and trained observers and, you know, this uniformed people, probably a lot of good people who have experienced that. Absolutely. I'm not denying that, you know, but they're so focused on their, on their experience, on their, on their badges, on their, you know, their, their, their what do you say in English? Their credentials. Is that yes. it? Yeah. Yeah. Credentials, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. But people tend to forget that honestly, there is nothing there's nothing like a trained observer because a, a human is still just a human. I mean, you can be uh, uh, you can be a, a experienced cop or a military, and you will still uh, mistake Venus for a UFO, or you will still be able to imagine stuff, or you will be still be able to be fooled. In Jacques Vallée's Revelations, a book I'm reading now, he's, he's, he, he writes something like, you can, you can have an office, you can have an, an office at Pentagon and still be crazy, you know, just because you're, <laughs> just because you're a military or police or a trained observer doesn't mean that you actually is a, a better observer. I mean, it's absolutely impossible. Yeah, I understand if you're a pilot, but... You're still when you're a pilot, you you have um, you still have your own perception through the lens of being a pilot and a military. So 
you will see things that other people won't see, but you will see it maybe more in a technological shape. Uh, you won't see flying, you know, gnomes up in there. You will see something that looks like drones or, or weird cubes or anything like that, uh, something like that. Uh, and if you, I think, I think we all need to to look beyond that. Still respect these people's experiences, uh, but also realizes realize that they're just humans. So beyond these stories is naturally something much weirder than what the media and ufologists and everyone else wants to say. This is something a lot weirder than than just than just uh, drone-like UFOs or, or Tic Tacs or Go Fast or Go Slow, as I heard they call it now. Or <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's uh, I, I try to see the, the 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 human in it. And with David Grush, I'm fascinated by this guy. Uh, I I actually believe that he is perfectly honest, but I also think. And I'm going a bit conspiratorial here. I think he's been set up because it's so weird that he's doing this investigation and suddenly there's people coming up to him and tell these amazing stories and gives him this information. And as he told it, it felt like it was kind of during a quite compressed time period. It wasn't over four years. It seemed like, I don't know, it was during a shorter period. So, of course, he could have been fooled for some reason, and he believes it. And I totally, totally respect his, his belief in it. Uh, and his belief, no, sorry, his experience is by itself weird as hell. That's the weirdness in it, his experience in it. Because imagine you're, you're investigating these bright dots in the sky and these drones, and suddenly people start talking with you that we have, they have, we have bodies we had cry, we have crashed UFOs, and suddenly it becomes high strangeness of it. But people don't want to see it; they they just want to see it as something, you know, government cover up, uh, conspiracies, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I, of course, there is a danger with only seeing, uh, looking at the surface of of these of these cases and stories. Definitely. Uh, uh, I always recommend if you want a boost of something strange, go and pick up an old UFO book from the 70s or <laughs> 80s. Just glance through it and you realize it's so much more out there. And listen to the experiencers out there, people who have this, because there are tons of them. There's so many wonderful, beautiful people out there who share their stories. And to be honest, they're, in their cases, it's it's some kind of stigma because many people just don't believe them. They believe the, the the militaries and pilots, but they don't believe you know old Joe out in his yard, you know, wrestling with gnomes or whatever. You know, it's it's, it's you, yeah. You 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 gotta listen to the 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 ordinary people out there. The the that's that I would say that's it, you know, open, have an open mind. There is so many other cool stories and experiences out there, you know, and I don't, I don't want this weirdness to be lost in, in paperwork and, and leaked documents and stuff like that. No, no, no. That's so boring. Really. Ah, <laughs> I know, man. 
I know. Well, and that's why we have you on to shake things up and to talk about weird ass Swedish UFO cases. Um, and that's kind of where I wanna I wanna wrap things up. I wanna tease the audience a little bit with uh a book that will most likely be out by the time this airs, um, of preserving the much lesser known cases and preserving the rich, rich history that Sweden has with the UFO topic. So before we let you go, can you hint or tease a little bit about your upcoming book, what we can expect from that, and uh, hopefully where we'll eventually be able to to buy it? Yeah, uh, it's called Northern Lights, uh, uh, High Strangeness in Sweden. And uh, it's it's a collection of stories and experiences from the 20s up to the uh, to. 2013, I think, is the latest one, or 2011. And I tried to pick out the weirdest stuff from Sweden's large history of really odd cases, you would say. It's a lot of humanoids and a lot of strange encounters on forest roads and fields. There's, you know, there's uh, alien dwarfs wrestling innocent victims <laughs> there's a, there's a, my favorite case where there's this weird fluffy boxes floating out from a large large UFO outside an old transmitter station. There's there's so many odd cases experienced by very convincing people, people who who never backed away from their story, and in many cases could be confirmed either by friends and family or other thing other people around them who said you can you can trust this person you know he's he's he or she won't make this up um so i'm this this i think it's like eight or ten chapters with a main case in each and then i kind of goes off into a lot of smaller cases and then I kind of mixes this with my own personal thoughts, uh, often connected to folklore and uh, a little bit of woo-woo and esoterica. But still, the main case is, I've, I, you know, I've been I've been focusing on getting it as as uh, as detailed as possible as it happened at the time with with uh, you know correct dates and environments and everything like that. So it's been a it's been a huge job writing it and i've been working on it on and off for like it's like two years now i think you know and i i the last changes i did was today when the editor sent me it, i found stuff that i i was like what what did i mean with that you know so i had to <laughs> say you know <laughs> you know you, i you know that you, feeling yeah you know you, you kind of goes blind but i i think it's a in a very proper shaped proper shape to be published now. I'm so happy that uh, Beyond the Fray Publishing uh, uh, want to release it. I was surprised, actually, because I didn't expect it. I just sent it to them, and a day later, they returned to me and said, you know, Fred, we, we got to release this one. Call us. We, we need to have a meeting. Awesome. And, yeah, it was like, whew. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very happy and proud to have done this finally. <laughs> Yeah, you've and, broken into the uh, the American mainstream, as it were, Fred. This thing's going to be read by um, everyone I grew up with in the U.S. and, and yeah. abroad, which is amazing. You know, these cases 
again, I cannot stress, Sweden has one of the biggest and largest archives of UFO material anywhere in the entire world. And the fact that you have that at your disposal and, and you've uncovered so many of these these amazing cases, these are cases that I can guarantee you most United States UFO researchers or Canadian UFO researchers or even many you know European researchers aren't aware of. So I think you're doing a huge service to not only the topic, but um, uh, to your country specifically for getting this, this out there. So yeah, all the power to you, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And about the archive, you out there support archives for the unexplained. They always need money. They need to keep this thing going. It's a bit tricky nowadays. Uh, you know, they, they have so much stuff and everything is, in 15 or 16 different uh, storages uh, and they, they need to have a, a one single place for everything, you know. So I'm just saying, buy your books from them. They have a lot of really cool books for good prices. So it's a little bit of advertising there. Sorry, sorry, Ryan. Not but, at all. We'll put a link in the show notes yeah. as well where people can purchase there. I'm always on the website looking at at what they have available because again these are books you're not going to find just on amazon or or you know at your local bookstore these are books that have been curated and, and uncovered that have gone lost to time for for a long for a while so uh yeah i i could spend hours just looking at the website and looking at what they have available. Um, now it's just a matter of buying them. So uh, yes, please support the archives guys. Again, I will put a show note below for that. But um, other than that, Fred, other than the book coming out, um, I know you're working on other projects as well. Is there anything else you can share with us about what is to come in, in your work in the UFO field? Well, there, there will be a big documentary project being released next year in, in Sweden and Scandinavia, but I hope it will find its way outside of our parts of the world uh, about this subject. I don't want to tell so much more about it, actually. You know, I don't want to jinx stuff, but of course. it will be very, very cool. And if you don't mind, Ryan, can I, can I ask your Swedish uh, uh, listeners uh, if you have experienced... Uh, interesting cool powerful you expo, UXPO, <laughs> ufo experience or humanoid or whatever and you want to share it and maybe even talk about it in front of camera send me an email you can send me an email to fred anderson fred.anderson at gmail.com and i will take care of it and get back to you it i would appreciate it because we're always up for some interesting cases out there yeah Absolutely, man. Yes, guys, if you live in Sweden, if you've ever been to Sweden, if you've seen something in Sweden, um, Fred would love to talk to you. Uh, and again, um, that's what we need. We, we need new voices out there. We need new cases. Uh, it only normalizes the topic even more. So yeah, again, we'll put Fred's email in the show notes as well to reach out. Um, but where else can people find you, Fred? Well, uh, it's on Twitter, the hellish hole called Twitter, which I kind of love, even if it's, I don't know, it's some kind of hostage situation there, uh, as uh, Homo Satanis, where I'm quite active, and on uh, Instagram, Homo Satanis, even there, mostly post books, and I have 
actually restarted my old author page on Facebook now, uh, Fred Anderson. And it's a, you know, you know, it's a book coming out, so I need to be everywhere. But uh, Twitter, Twitter and Instagram is the, I would say, is the best way to interact with me. And, you know, I'm one of those who follows back if you're not an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> follow him, guys. Please go follow him and don't be an asshole. It's that simple. <laughs> um, Fred, these are my favorite conversations, man, to have on Somewhere in the Skies. Um, you're such a, a beacon of light in a field that can often get pretty dark sometimes. So, um, once again, I have to thank you for coming on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.